Everyone saying hi. Get your highs in. Hello. Good morning. You guys excited to be here? I know I'm super excited. I say excited a lot. So just getting it out there now like five times in the first beginning so that you know this guy's always excited. It's not just that I'm big. It's not that I'm an ogre. I just, I'm excited. I have a joy. I like to share who Jesus is and, and I really do get worked up and and some of it is, is fear and trembling, nervous before I speak, but it's also um, because I truly am honored uh, to share Jesus with the church and with the lost. Wherever I am, I'm excited to, to tell people about who he is because how good he is and how good he's been patient with me and enduring with me and compassionate. And, and why wouldn't I want to talk about him? Because he's a loving God. So thank you guys so much uh, for allowing me to be here. Um, he got the slide up. Good job. You're on the, you're on the ball, man. Um, some of you may know me. I recognize some faces. I already said hi to some people. Uh, it's, it goes back almost 10 years. Yeah, I see another face now. Um, there's some of you I've, I've served with evangelizing, and we've gone to the Super Bowl. We've gone to the Tostitos Bowl and preached. We went to Mexico. Uh, it's been almost 10 years since I, I was telling him this morning, since I've known um, the ELW Church and Shine Bright Church. Uh, Pastor Danny and Sonny have always been a blessing to me and my wife, and um, and so it's, it, that's another joy on why I'm here, because I love this church. Even if some of you don't know who I am, um, I know who you guys are, I promise. And I'm praying for your church, and, and I know a lot about you guys. Lately, I've been going and helping out at Shine Bright here and there. Um, so I know a lot about you guys. A little about me, my name's Kyle Peart. For any of you older and have the question, because I get asked all the time, I am not related to Neil Peart. Okay. I don't have a drum skill in my body. I don't know how to play the drum. Sorry. Yeah. He's throwing it up. I get that question all the time. Uncle Neil is not my uncle. Um, but I am eagerly trying to learn the guitar, which I'm failing at. I'm trying my hardest to get better at that. Um, so yeah, uh, my name is Kyle Peart. I run a ministry called Once Lost Ministry. And um, my beautiful wife has always served faithfully side by side with me wherever we go. Um, if you see the table in the back, um, that's part of our resources and stuff that we pass out uh, under no obligation. It's completely free. And I'll tell you a little more about that stuff a little later. But uh, my wife, uh, in May, praise God, we will be married 15 years, which is amazing. So, yeah. And if anyone's going to tell you, she'll know those 15 years, that's a, that's a praise God right there. That's a praise God for sure. Um, also beside her, and some of them have left, we have five beautiful girls. Yes, I said five, and yes, I said girls. So I would appreciate your prayers for me as well, because I deeply need it in uh, understanding how to articulate life to five girls. Um, so that's a little about me. We also have two goats, we have two dogs, and what are we at, like eight chickens right now? We had roosters, had to get rid of them. No one liked the crowing. I loved it. I thought it was awesome, but had to get rid of the roosters. Um, so we're, we're a farm. We're a crazy house. You ever seen that crazy farm movie? That's us. Um, so now you know a little bit about me, and now we kind of are acquaintances. Now we're maybe even friends. And just for the, the sake of comfort, everyone scream out their name on the count of three. One, two, three. I see I got all your names. Quiz me afterwards, all right? So now we're friends, all right? So 
the reason why I introduce myself and want to uh, want you to know a little bit about me and now I know your names is because we're going to get into some tough stuff. But if any of you are in here and believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only are you my friend now, but you are my family. Okay, you are my brothers and sisters. And I want to know you and I'm grateful to meet you right now. No matter where I go, when I find out there's another believer, that's a joy. That's a comfort. And I appreciate that. Amen. And so we should be excited to meet one another. And so now you know me, I know you, here we are. But as family, you all know, families are broken. Families have difficult things in their lives. Families talk about uncomfortable things. Like me, unfortunately, uh, I had a broken home growing up. I, I don't think I stick out amongst anything in this culture today because unfortunately, it's all too common that most homes are broken. Most homes are damaged. Most homes are missing things, people, structure, right? And so I come from a broken home. And but by God's grace, I am where I am today, learning and understanding by his word how to get through those things, through those hard, difficult conversations, right? Uh, my mom was going to be here today and I was going to introduce her, but she wasn't able to make it. But my mom and I have been through a lot. And we can talk about a lot of things that, that we went through and sometimes are really hard to hear because as a son, I perceived things differently than as a mother, she perceived them. And so it was really hard sometimes to talk about stuff. But the greatest thing about my relationship with my mom is that she also is part of the family of God. So not only is she my mother in this world, but she is my sister in Christ. And so when we talk about difficult things, we meet at the foot of the cross. And we're able to get through those things because we both trust, looking back at those things that we uh, regret, the hardships, the difficulties, the bad decisions, we can understand how to get through that because we're both sitting at the foot of the cross. It's the same thing with my wife and it's the same thing when I talk to my sister. And any of you can affiliate with that when you're talking about things. What an awesome honor it is, is when you bring Christ to the table with your family member that it's easier to get through that. Amen? So for your sake of comfort, not because I'm trying to tickle your ear, but for the sake of comfort that you would know I'm your family and what I share today is because I love you and because I want to get through these hard things because God gets the glory and we're here to, to, to glory and honor His name. Amen? So like joining with me, like I said, that makes you my family. We're going to get through some uncomfortable things, some awkward things. Ask my wife. I'm Mr. Awkward. I run into a room. I don't want to talk about confrontation. I run from it. And for some reason, God calls me up here to talk about those things. I don't know why. Blame Pastor Danny. All right. But because we're family, that means we have one thing in common. We have the same father. And that father talks. He speaks to us. How does he speak to us? Well, he gives us his word, all right? So I'm going to flip through a bunch of things. He's going to put it up on the screen if you didn't bring your sword today, your Bible. But in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Lord tells us, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, 
through whom also he created the world. So everyone in here with a Bible, if you got your Bible, you're going to get called out if you didn't bring it. If you got your phone, if you use an app, hold that up. Everyone put it up and recognize that this is the holy word of God. And God spoke to us and speaks to us still continually through it. Okay? He gives it to us so that we can know him. And in times past, long ago, he gave us special revelation through holy men of God that were inspired by his Holy Spirit and spoke to us and declared the truth. That was times past. But today, in these days, today, in this climate, in this culture, in everything, and everyone's trying to tell you that I have a special revelation for you. Guess what? In these last days, I get to say, no, you don't. Because who speaks to us today? His son. He speaks to us by his son, which is written and declared and already stated what the truth is. So we hold fast to that. Not only when we, when we see the prophet speaking in times past, we see how patient God is. When he's talking to people, he's given these revelations. Anyone read Isaiah in here? I would hope so, or, or maybe it's been a long time. I'm, I'm going through it in my quiet time right now. I'm like, man, God, you are way more patient with people than I am. Because in that circumstance, I'd have brought out the guns, I would have brought out the cannons, and like just went to war. And he's like pleading with them. When he says his patience is long enduring, you're like, wow, that word makes way more sense when you're seeing how long he waited till he judged the nation. So God's patience endures forever. And that's what we see when he's talking by his prophets. And now he's patient as we learn by his word through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Go ahead and, and look back at that in Hebrews Look towards the end of the verse. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. That son, that God-man, taught us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That's in 1 Peter. I'm going to go ahead and, or it's 2 Peter. I'm going to get to that a little later. But he mentions all things. In Hebrews, all throughout Scripture, you look in Peter, you see that God's revelation by His Son has given us all things. And sometimes we question, we go, well, what does all mean? Well, all means all. Well, does it really mean all? He gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. You're like, wow. A to Z, all of the in Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, He gives us everything. And you're like, but God, I don't need to go to you for this because that's... Maybe it's too small or maybe it's too big and you don't know how to handle your conversations with God. All things. And he's heir over all things. So trust in that. When we read his word, when we submit to it and we understand it, when we come to, come to understand it, we can trust that he's giving us all things pertaining to it. Catching the emphasis there in those two verses, he is truly teaching us all things. So that brings us to why we are here today. You're like, well, you're preaching a sermon and the title at the beginning said progressive Christianity. When are we going to get into the uncomfortable stuff? All right. Well, the reason why I'm building this foundation is for you to understand that God's word is our foundation. And I got nothing to say to you if only coming up here and telling you my opinions are trying to articulate my thoughts. Ask my wife. My thoughts are rabbit trails. Amen. I'm <laughs> 
I, I have to stay on track, and you don't want to follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. All right, so that's why we're here today. See, over a decade ago, I was a younger believer, all right? And when I was trying to seek the Lord on how to serve Him and honor Him, I fell in love with evangelism. I absolutely loved it, but it was not by nature. Some people in here are like, I'll never do evangelism. That was me. I never wanted to do evangelism because when in my, I call them BC days, all right? Before Christ. In my BC days, I hated people. I didn't, I didn't want to be in a room like this talking to people. I certainly didn't want to hear what you had to say. I thought I knew better than you and I would do everything my own way. And that's the way that I lived. And I wouldn't look you in the eyes. You'd be like, man, this guy's a jerk. Yes, I was. I was an absolute jerk. I was a criminal and I was, I was very judgmental. I wouldn't walk into a room and want to conversate with you and you'd be like, man, that guy's cold. That was me. But by God's grace, when, when he revealed to me that there are souls made in the image of the creator, image bearers, and these souls have a longing to know intimately who their creator is, how could I not want to introduce them? How could I not want to share who he is? And so God changed my heart, and that's why I fell in love with evangelism. My wife's like, why are you going, why are you wanting to do this? You don't like talking to people. God must be telling me, yeah, well, he says it. He says go. So I'm like, I gotta go. Why wouldn't I want to? So that's where we are. I fell in love with evangelism, and I knew that I had to serve the Lord and, and share my joy of who he is with them saw people for who they were, and I began to share all around the world. Me and my wife traveled around. We went to India, to, to the UK, to I've gone to Africa, we've gone to Mexico. You go everywhere and you want to share who Jesus is because you understand the hope that is in you and why we trust in Him. The more we did that, the more I was confronted with lies, with deception, with confrontation, with opinions, the more I shared with people, the more I saw that there was an opposing view, whatever it was, contrary to what I believed. And so when I saw that, the elephant in the room, why I wore this shirt, is because the more I understood who God was, the more I understood the truth, it, it showed me that there were lies out there. See, when my wife be, before we, before I knew the Lord, before we were married, she used to share the gospel with me and she would be in tears and, and I was an evil person. I would laugh. I'd be like, I'm really okay. Why are you sharing the gospel with me? I'm not that bad. I'm really doing okay. All right. When I, when, when God started pricking my heart, when I really started to pay attention, it was, it was like this little glimmer of like wanting to know the truth, but I'm going to find it out my own way. So I started reading all different kinds of stuff out there wanting to know what the truth is. Well, she's sharing the truth with me. There's got to be a truth or there's multiple truths or what are all these truths out there? Is it subjective? Is it objective? What is it? So I researched all these things, but she kept pointing me to Christ. And she said, this is the truth. This is the way. And this is the life. And so she's constantly pointing me to that. And I was like, but there's all these things. And she's like, no, the truth is right here before you. And when I understood that, it set me free. I could rest in that. I could let go and say I surrender to the truth and know who the truth is, and his name is Jesus, right? 
But then the more you know the truth, now you get overwhelmed because you look on social media and you look on TV and you see all these distorted views of the truth. And you're like, but I know the truth. It's written here. It's declared. But there's so many masquerades and facades and evils out there that are trying to replicate it. So, But you can't know that without knowing the truth. That's why I love this shirt. Because you can't recognize a counterfeit without knowing the original. If you've ever seen, I don't recommend seeing the movie. It's uh, Catch Me If You Can. Leonardo DiCaprio did a movie based on a true story of Frank Abagnale. Anyone familiar with that story? Frank Abagnale was a common uh, well, thief, I guess, but he was replicating checks. And he was making millions. And the FBI got involved chasing him, trying to follow him. When he finally got caught at the end, he actually helped the FBI determine what was real and what was fake. And he was on staff as part of his parole in prison because all he had to do was pick up a piece of paper. And if it was fake, he knew by the touch, he would just feel it. Well, why would he know that it was fake? Because he knew the real thing. He knew the truth. And so he was like, nope, this is wrong. This isn't real. And that's how we as Christians need to live and act. Don't get too overwhelmed by the things I'm going to say today. Don't get too overwhelmed by, by all of the philosophies of men. All you need to do is know the truth. The truth will set you free and be able to help you navigate muddy waters. Amen? So this is where Once Lost started. I met my friend Flynn Hughesby. He's a, another buddy that helps us work in the ministry. Um, he was going to try and make it here today, but he didn't make it. But uh, we are eager to share our desire of the truth and how to articulate it so that the Christian, the church can be able to give a reason. All right. And let me emphasize on that a little bit. In, in the scriptures, we see in 1 Peter 3.15, God introduces this idea of apologetics. Anyone heard of apologetics in here? I know Pastor Danny's been talking about it a little bit. Apologetics actually comes from the scriptures. It's not just a man-made idea, all right? 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The original Greek word, I'm not going to dive too deep into this because I got a lot to cover, the original word for there, make a defense, is uh, the Greek word apologia, all right? And that original root word is where we get our word apologetics, <coughs> being able to make a defense. In a courtroom, you are apologetically explaining why you believe in Jesus. We don't need to defend the truth. You don't need to defend Jesus Jesus is perfectly capable of handling himself, but we are to defend the faith is what the scripture tells us. So that means when someone's walking along and they say something contrary and they go, well, wait, you sound like you believe something different. Why can you articulate that? Can you reason with them and get it out? That's where we get the, the word apologetics. And, and it's a call for every believer it's not just for me or Pastor Danny or any certain individual. We are all called to be able to have a stable and right mind in our faith and not close our eyes and go, well, I believe in Jesus and the pastor is going to figure it out. Why do you believe what you believe? 
All right. So I fell in love with this idea. I fell in love with the fact that I can explain why I believe what I believe. And apologetics just completely saturated my life. I fell in love with it. When I came across these things that sound contrary to what I read, I can work through them knowing that God will convince me based on his truth. All right. When someone comes along, which they will, they're going to come along and say, hey, guess what? I've got this book over here. It's called the Book of Mormon. And it's a special revelation that tells you a little more about God. Don't you want to know about God? Everyone in here, that's why you're at church. You want to know more about God. Let me show you this book and I'm going to teach you a little more about him. I'm able to now know the truth and spot a lie, identify the counterfeit and be able to say, well, that sounds a little weird because the scripture says this. So I don't think I'm going to believe that because it contradicts this. And I'm already convinced in my mind based on um, on truth that this is solid. This is firm. I can trust this. This thing is fallible. And so you spot it, right? This is something we teach with our kids. This is a common everyday thing that we call spotting the lie. Whether you're turning on your TV, you're watching a show, you're watching commercials, you're sending your kids to school, wherever we are going, you play spot the lie because there's lies everywhere, folks. You can't miss it. It doesn't matter where you're looking. It's there. And we as Christians are supposed to be alert, redeeming the time and be vigilant, spotting these things, all right? So that's, that's what I hear you guys are all doing. Pastor Danny told me a little bit about how the, the breakaway, you went through 1 Corinthians, and now you're going through topics, which is really good. I think churches should be doing this more, being able to, to work through some of these hard things because they're everywhere. Maybe sometimes you don't see Jehovah's Witnesses walking down the street, but you see a lot of Roman Catholics roaming the streets. Can you articulate the difference between what they believe in the catechism based on the scriptures? Well, it looks really close. Why do we need to talk about that? Where is their faith? Where is your faith? Can we be able to explain these conversations? Amen? So that's cool about apologetics, right? But what what if I told you, based on, based on that factor, Jehovah's Witness walk up, they tell you this book, uh, um, Islam, they tell you Muhammad had a special revelation, so you got to go read the Quran, whatever it is, right? So you got all these books and philosophies and Scientology, and they all have a book. But what if I told you there's a popularized belief today that doesn't have a book, And not only does it not have a book, it doesn't have a prophet. It doesn't have someone special sticking out that you can evaluate what he says according to the scriptures. Like being able to have a contrast is what makes things pretty easy to determine truth and and lies. But there's a popularized belief today that's poked itself uh, out a little bit about 10 years ago. It was called the emergent church. Anyone familiar with that term? The emergent church was uh, trying to bring everything together. It got really popular with Rick Warren when he was highlighting at the top of his career. But essentially, it's people coming together saying, it's okay what you believe, and we can sit in the same room, and, and I'm, I'm not going to offend you, and you're not going to offend me. And it got popular, but then it kind of died off and, and, and hid away. But now it's, it's poking its head back out and it's, and it's extremely popularized everywhere in the social world. 
and it's called progressive Christianity, all right, or the progressive movement. And what's difficult about this, what's the hardest part about addressing this philosophy is that it doesn't have a theology. It doesn't have a book that I can go to. And it doesn't have like this standard and, and it actually is anti-standard. It's anti-book. It's anti-the Bible. Even though they'll tell you and you think progressive Christianity, well, Christianity is involved in there, so they must have some kind of tie to the Bible. Well, they do tie things to the Bible, but majority of the time they're trying their hardest to disprove the Bible than actually share what the Bible says. And they're saying, well, this isn't what it really says. Let me explain this a a little bit more. Simply put, progressive Christianity is the idea that Christianity is actively evolving into something new, just as our culture. So that means the Bible, which we hold fast to as the Word of God. Everyone in here raises their hand and we say, we hold fast to this. They say, what was written 2,000 years ago, that time when it was written, it's not really applicable to what we live as people today. It doesn't really match our culture. So I can get some good things out of it, but it doesn't really fit here. All right. They say that we as people are changing. I use the word evolving. So there's a lot of mix with, with progressive Christianity. It really is a mod podge. It's like a buffet table of a little bit of new age spirituality over here, a little Buddhism, a little Hinduism, let's grab some Christianity and let's put it all together in this buffet table and make a smorgasbord, right? Let's just eat this garbage. So they're constantly just feeding lots of different ideas, but no standard of truth. They say we as people are changing and have a higher understanding than the people back then. Catch that. They think they have a better understanding of people 2,000 years ago. So the things that this says doesn't really mean what it says, but we have the capability to understand it better than the people that wrote it, okay? The whole philosophy of progressive Christianity is that we are all God's children, and ultimately this book is man's opinion about God, not the other way around. God telling us about man and who man is, right? So these people wrote about God, they say this, These people wrote about God from what they could understand at the time. But we have a higher way of thinking. We are more intellectual. They state that God was never really instructing or correcting. You'll get a lot of those words because judgment, correction, instruction in righteousness. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Those things are earmarkers. How dare you instruct? How dare you correct? Don't judge. These are all ideas and philosophies of how dare you point your finger and wave it at me, all right? But they say we as a society today, we can get it right. We've achieved uh, a, a higher intellectual capability that we can actually interpret the scriptures better because we have a higher understanding of love, which is often their focal point. We are evolved beings and we get to interpret things at a more sophisticated level, all right? The problem with this is where it gets really, really muddy and really difficult to understand. Because based on their fact that Christianity in its infancy was just trying to figure things out. They say 2,000 years ago when the early church started to come together, Paul was writing his epistles, Peter was writing his epistles, all these different letters were getting flung around. They were really just babies. 
They didn't really understand what they were saying and they were trying to figure out what the church was and they got it wrong. And when you try and tell me what that says, you're probably wrong too. But I'm going to tell you what it really says, all right? So it gets really, really awkward because they try and tell you this is what it means, but you can't really know what it means, all right? So that means when we read the scriptures, it's really opinionated and not a standard. They have no baseline. And that's why I started with building a foundation of trusting God's word. Because we have a standard. You can tell me right now if I've said something wrong already, and I would appreciate it. You could raise your hand and say, oh, Mr. Kyle, that's not true. Okay, show me the scripture. Wow, I'm sorry. I, I should not have said that. Because that's my standard. It's not subjective. Does everyone understand the difference between objective and subjective? Subjective is explaining something based on my personal opinions. I'm going to come up here and tell you what I think the Bible says. Another term for that is eisegesis. I ordered a shirt two weeks ago. It didn't make it here. It said exegesis over eisegesis. I so badly wanted to wear it today. I was really excited and it didn't show up. Eisegesis is where you look into the scripture and you make it say what you want. Exegeting a, a text or exegesis means that you are reading the scripture in its simplicity and allowing it to speak for itself. Whether historical, poetic, whatever it is, revelation, direct revelation from God, whether it's a donkey talking or a, a letter written in the New Testament, you allow it to speak for itself because those were circumstances where a supernatural God was intervening with common man. All right. But they say, no, 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 no. You got this wrong. So this is where it gets really mind boggling. This is where my brain starts to hurt. All right. So though they teach from portions of scripture, they'll teach from it. I'm going to give you an example here in a second. They reinterpret out of the original context and they'll pick a verse. And it's usually one verse. They won't read five verses. My common sermon, like I want to at least teach nine verses. That's like my default. If, I, if I'm trying to get to a point, I want to either go before or past nine verses so that I can give you the context. But they will always give you one verse and just take it apart. All right? So they teach from these scriptures and they reinterpret it and then they deconstruct the text to make it more applicable to the emotions and social statuses, social statuses of our generation. Has anyone, has anyone got social media in here? I'm sure everyone does, all right? There's like this, I, like a week ago, I started seeing my, my wall flood on Facebook of deconstructionism. Anyone seen that too? Or am I the only one? Maybe I follow too much people. Uh, <laughs> um, there's this idea of deconstructionism. And I was like, I've never even heard of this. And so I researched it. And this is, this is, a, this is a theology. This is an ideology of progressive Christianity where their goal is to deconstruct Christianity. There, there, there's a guy that calls himself a progressive Christian, which I would assume that means that you follow Christ somehow, right? But he started a new YouTube channel called Unlearning Christianity. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't understand that. How does that, how does that work? They're contrary. But this is what they're doing. They're deconstructing the scriptures. Meaning they say something doesn't really mean what it means, but they have the real meaning. 
and they're going to interpret it for us. But people can't be wrong. But you're wrong for saying it means what it says. Did anyone follow that? Because I made it complicated for a reason. And, and that really is ex exactly what they're saying. Try this in its simplicity, all right? It's completely hypocritical, but essentially says that Orthodox Christianity, or what I like to call historical Christianity, because Orthodox gets muddy. You start getting into weird waters there, because then you've got doctrines and all these different denominations, and they battle, right? We see that today. Historical Christianity, the early church, when we read the text and we allow it to speak for itself, they say that people holding to the original text are wrong, and they understand it better today, but people can't be wrong, and we should all get along and just love one another. So the Christian, the historical Christian, which I'm going to assume everyone in here, uh, because you're still in here now and haven't left, furiated by what I've said, the fact that you believe the scripture says what it says, you are wrong. But people can't be wrong, and we should all sit in a room together and be okay with that. But they refuse to sit in this room because we're saying they're wrong. They're saying we're wrong. And it's just like this difficult conversation. It's really difficult. And when I say it like this, it sounds crazy, right? It doesn't really make sense. And you're like, how can a people get there? But that's where our society is today. You walk outside, that is our culture. And I'm not trying to, I don't want to get political. I don't like to get political, but it happens. It gets into the pulpit sometimes. That's what the climate is today. It's reason versus personal interpretation. The Whether you go on, I'm not going to name a news source because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> you flip on the channel and you see people say things and they are constantly calling out people saying, how dare you know what is right? You shouldn't tell people what is right. Isn't that what you're doing? Aren't you telling me what is right and wrong? But at least you're, you're, you're not being honest because you're just saying, well, that offends me. The scripture says, you're going to be offended. There is a right and wrong. And here's the standard on how to evaluate those things. So whether you look on social media, TV, whatever it is, that's our climate, that's our culture. And whether they actually name themselves as progressive Christian or liberal, libertarianism, liberalism, whatever it is, that's our society. And it's loud. Because the Christians, we're meek and mild, we're gentle, right? Gentle and, and like that's what the scriptures calls us to do. So we're not out there, ah, and they're screaming their lungs out. People are comfortable stating that emotions trump facts. And if you don't like something, your feelings get to determine whether something is true or not. That's their baseline. People need to back off with opposing views, even though their view is in opposition to what you believe. But how dare you voice your opinion, all right? So this becomes extremely difficult. I like to tie apologetics and evangelism together. Evangelistically, this is one of the hardest things for me to talk about. Even coming here today, I like, I like bullet points. I like to be able to break down, this is what these people believe and this is what the scripture says. But I can't really do that because they don't have like this deep theology because it's just whatever they felt at the moment. 
All right? But they have two agendas, two strategies. If you're, if you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. Their first step is they want to state a specific verse re means something else. All right? It doesn't really say what it means, but I'm going to explain it to you that matches your more socially acceptable um, view. I'm going to reinterpret that. A good example is universal salvation. I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. But they will find text, and they will manipulate it, and they will form it to make it sound like we are all God's children. We are all accepted into the kingdom of God. There's no condemnation, no hell, no judgment, no correction, and we're all following many ways to God. Anyone heard that? Does that sound familiar? Yeah? That's their first step, is to teach you their view. The second step is, and this is the hardest, is they're going to demonize absolutely anyone that opposes what they say. I come across several people that disagree with me all the time. Whether at my job, I work on cell towers, or get construction workers in a room, guess what? We butt heads. Everyone has an opinion. I hear opposing views all the time, but being able to conversate is my, my love. I love to get through those things. But they go, nope, you disagree with me? No way. And not only no way, but how dare you? And not only how dare you, I'm calling the cops. I'm sending you to jail. I'm suing you. I'm pressing charges. How dare you be alive? I'm putting you on trial. Give this person the death penalty. That's the attitude you see today. That's the climate. How dare you oppose my view? So it gets really difficult because they're trying to take away speech, even though their speech offends me. Like, anyone want to talk about hatred? They're the most hatred people in the world, the most hateful. And this is where we see it. We see it on TV, social media platforms. Um, but there's no voice of reason, which makes it extremely difficult. And that's what leads us to the next point, all right? With progressive Christianity, it more often than not shows itself politically. It shows itself more socially because that's what they're trying to fit into is the, the political correctness, making things more culturally appropriate. All right. And don't take my word for it. I'm going to play a three minute video. He's going to put it up there for you. Hopefully we got the sound. I want you to hear exactly what they believe. All right. Our belief is that um, Jesus gave us a path and therefore by calling yourself a Christian, you are someone who is intentionally practicing that path. Our assumption is that what Jesus was trying to teach us is that if we follow that path with great intention, if we practice it, like someone might practice the piano or the violin or some other instrument or some sport, uh, we would then have the ability to have the, some of the same experiences that Jesus had of the divine. By following that path, our relationship with other people changes dramatically. Our relationship with all sentient beings changes dramatically. Our relationship with the environment changes. And in large part, it is trying to learn how to dissolve boundaries between us, to get rid of what I call a dualistic mentality, where we see the other as something different than ourselves and begin to see divine, sacred, godness in all things. Um, some people call this panentheism. Um, I'm comfortable with that term. 
but it does mean a change for most of us in our attitude and where we are. Here's one more for us tonight. Being queer is holy, our love is holy too. Christians who say otherwise don't know the Bible. Woo! Homosexuality is not a sin. Being LGBT is not a sin. You start seeing Jesus tear down patriarchy. Jesus himself would have been considered feminine, and I know that's going to come as a uh, shock to so many people. And so now you don't have any fear of going to hell? I don't believe in hell anymore. <laughs> oh, you don't believe in hell? No. Do you believe in heaven? Uh, ish. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship here this morning, who might be squirming a little bit because this is an uncomfortable question to hear in church sometimes, I want you to hear me loud and clear as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your relationships are holy. They're beautiful, and they are welcomed and celebrated in this space. About John 3.16, that evangelical Christians love so much. Why is it the favorite, favorite Bible verse that they want to tell everybody about? Well, I'd like to think it's the first six words that say, For God so loved the world. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the message they wanted everybody to hear and everybody to know, that God loves you so much? But sadly, I believe it's the latter part of the verse that they want to emphasize and make clear that Jesus is the only way that leads to salvation. The misunderstanding over John 3.16 has led many Christians in America today to believe that one must accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior or they will be condemned to hell. That is not what John 3.16 means. That is not what Jesus is saying in today's gospel. Pretty insane, huh? I just feel led, uh, you know, the, the thing about these conversations is I could, like, I want to go down all of these statements. I really, I really want to. It's just the fight in me. I want to, like, I want to I answer all these questions. I mean, we'll open up chance for that. But, um, folks, John 3.16, everyone knows it by heart, right? The problem is he doesn't keep reading. Do you see how he depicts one verse? You got a question? Do you, do you want to add, save it and ask for later? All right, cool. Um, just because my mind goes, and I'll, I'll, I'll lose track for sure. Um, so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, perish, they're offended by that, right? But let's just say, let's just say John 3.16 means what he says, all right? It's really hard to fathom. But if you keep reading, there's, there's no contradiction here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's what he's trying to preach, is God is love, right? For God so loved the world. That's what he's trying to push. Okay, well, okay, yeah. It says, for God did not send his uh, son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Folks, it speaks for itself. How hard is that to, to understand? And yet he's got my blood boiled on this one. I thought I was going to have a heart attack when I watched it for an hour and a half. It's a full sermon. It's, it's devastating. Totally manipulative. He just tears and destroys the scriptures apart. But this is what they're doing. I mean, this is a very popular, apologetic, progressive Christianity teacher. All right? But more often than not, you can see his garb, the stuff he's pushing. And when you watch his videos, he has a lot of signs behind him. They're always pushing political stuff. That's what they're trying to get to. Because they want to make the things today that are socially acceptable in the world, they want it to be socially accepted in the church. So often you'll see them pushing homosexuality or their agenda of gender, gender neutrality, right? Genders don't matter. You'll see a lot more pushes for the feminist movement, such as women's, uh, women being pastors. Or you'll see a lot more backing behind social clubs like Black Lives Matter or teaching critical race theory which pastor said he was going to be getting in soon. So I'll be praying for you guys. Those are good conversations for sure. Um, but I know I just loaded the table with tons of things that if I was to just pick one, we could talk about for hours, right? Just one of those things. And I just, I just threw it all in there. And, and that's uncomfortable. Wait, he said Black Lives Matter. That just brings like this carry of emotions. Everyone has a stance and want to immediately respond with some kind of reaction, right? And it just gets loaded up. But remember, when I started here today, I addressed that anyone who believes in Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are my family. And we're talking about difficult things, right? So this is why it's okay. We are family. Shake it out. Take a deep breath, let go of that emotion, and get through it. Because we as family need to talk about it. This is how we learn. This is how we explore these thoughts. Ask my wife at 2 o'clock in the morning if I'm up that late. We're talking about some weird stuff where I'm trying to, to navigate waters that are hard. They're difficult. And we work through them. And you have to. You have to get through it to be able to explain these things. Not because the church needs to be political, but because what we read earlier, right? Let me, let me pull back to the beginning. Second Peter 1, 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. You can go to the next one. Second Peter 1, 3. So He, Jesus which if you start in Second uh, Peter, if you see in verse 2, this is talking about Him, Jesus. He is the He. His, His divine power, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? How did He grant that to us? Through the knowledge of Him. How do I gain knowledge of Him? Through His Word. Does Jesus speak to you today? No, His canon is closed. Genesis to Revelation. I don't need any more. He gave me the beginning and he gave me the end. Why would I need something new? He gave me point A to point Z. It's there. So I go directly to the source and I find out the truth and I rest in that. How, how, how can I gain wisdom and knowledge and all these things? I go to him. 
So we learn to deal with these things that are uncomfortable in our culture today, and we reason through them as long as we first understand as a, as a conversation that this is our standard. This is our baseline. And so when you get offended, well, it's, it's what it says. When I was preaching for a year at, um, at a church here in Tucson, um, I was helping out a church over there, and I thought since they were a newer church, we'd just go through 1 Timothy. Boy, was I a fool for that one. I was like, let's keep it simple. The 1 Timothy tells the church how to operate. This is what the church should look like. So I'll just, hey, you're a new church. Let's help understand what it means to look like the church. Well, if any of you know 1 Timothy, there's some stuff in there that says women should not speak in the church. And man, did I fuel that fire. I didn't see those conversations coming. But guess what? I worked myself up to it, like stressed out because I thought the conversation was going to be all these emotional charges, charges, which some of them were. But when I, when I preached the sermon afterwards, because I let this, the text speak for itself and I did not infiltrate it and give it manipulative ways to try and make myself be right, I just let it speak for itself. There were a lot of people that came afterwards and said, well, it is what it says. Yeah, you're right. It is what it says. So we have to rest in that. Extremely difficult things. We rest in it. Let me get to that here in a little bit. What about those that aren't convinced in here? Maybe there's some people in here that are not 100% agreeing with me. Maybe they're shifting in their seats. They're uncomfortable. I don't know who you are. I'm trying to find you and spot you out. I'm just playing. Um, maybe the text is not appropriate. You got another one? Write them down, dude. I promise I'll, I'll answer all of them. All right? I'll try my best. Uh, maybe the text is not applicable to us. So some people in here are saying, there's some valid points. Maybe 2,000 years ago, they, you know, the head covering conversation in Corinthians, you guys went through it. There's different things that we get to and we're like, well, maybe that was cultural and maybe, you know, we don't live in Babylon anymore. So why, why do we have to talk about those things that are in the Old Testament? That's 3,500 years ago, right? So we start entertaining these ideas and you're like, well, how can I answer this question, right? Let me, let me go ahead and reason through this because God, he's a reasonable God. In Isaiah, it says, come, let us reason, though your sins be as scarlet, let me wash them white as snow. He reasons with us. He explains these things. So let's reason together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I got it up there, starting in verse 16. You guys should know this verse. It says, God says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped, complete equipped for every good work. Amen? Amen. It sounds simple to me, but let's break it down just for a second, just to make sure that we all have clarification. All right. For those that are riding on the fence, when you read this verse, what portions of Scripture do you get to decide is profitable? For anyone maybe questioning this, We've got two different cameras. People are going to be online watching this. I hope people are considering this thing. When you question what the Word of God says and say, well, it doesn't really mean that or this isn't appropriate for me today. I can't really gain information from this. Leviticus 19 probably doesn't match what I'm living today. Who gets to decide when that's appropriate? What texts are not appropriate for 
us to understand in our life today. And let me take it a step further. By what authority do you get to dictate which verse is not appropriate or applicable to us? By what authority? Because that's what they're doing is they're making themselves self-righteous. Even though they say the Christian is self-righteous, you're the one saying that you're better than us and you're pointing your finger at us saying, how dare you sin? You're going to go to hell, you judgmental Christian. How dare you? But they're the ones that are self-righteous saying that they have the better understanding. They're the ones depicting this verse is not appropriate and they're raising themselves up higher than God. What I read here is all scripture is given by God. I can't miss that. And do you, do you see the emphasis as the verses I'm climbing through? All means all. God is over all. And it's, it's meant for teaching us, for growing us, for correcting us when we do decide to make wrong decisions. It points us and navigates us. It's the GPS saying, you turn, you turn, you're t- you go back, go back. You're going the wrong direction. This is the right way. Right? But what for? When we read this, what do we, is it for us in the church? We walk in the building, we close the door, and now we get to act like Christians. This is, this is when the scripture is profitable when we're in this room. Is it when we're at home, when we're teaching our children, and that's, we just need to keep it in there and, and hide it under a bushel? Wait, oh no. Hide it up on a mountain. Let your light shine. The scripture says that it's, Thoroughly furnished, training in righteousness, reproof, correction, profitable for all of these things. Why? So that the man of God, man, generalized, don't be offended, feminists, man of God, that means people, mankind, everyone in here, this is for you, okay? That you may be complete, equipped for some of the work that you do on Sunday, for when you fill up at the gas station and, and someone asks for money. No, for every good work. All things pertaining to life and godliness. God is consistent throughout Scripture. I, can, I love translating Scripture with Scripture. I can just bounce back and forth and say, look, this is what Scripture says. God says all. And I don't find it any coincidence. In our church, we've been going through First and Second Peter um, and... Man, it's been awesome. I absolutely love it. Pastor Jim Roden over there has been um, doing a fantastic job just navigating through some of the tough stuff. When I first came to the Lord, after I was growing, I, I fell in love with Peter. I really affiliate with him because I call it the foot and mouth disease. Peter, when he was talking to Jesus, he would say things and he's just like chasing his words like, I shouldn't have said that, right? He gets rebuked. He gets called Satan. He's up on Mount Transfiguration. He's like, surely we should build a tent here. That's me. I'm like, man, I'm hanging out with Jesus. Sorry, wife. Oh, sorry. I have a family. I got to serve the Lord in the world. Like, there's times where Peter just says foolish things. I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm a fool. I get it. So when I go through First Peter, man, it just hits home. So go home and chew on, on Peter, right? I, I strongly encourage you guys to do that. Read the whole Bible, but I'm like telling you the things that speak to me recently. So First and Second Peter, we went through it. First Peter it really builds this, this, um, this bridge of understanding the persecution and the, the tribulation and the things the church is going through. So Peter's reminding them of the hope that they have, this blessed hope that you were talking about earlier, this, this confidence that eternity is sure and salvation is real. Because when you walk out your door and you see this persecution, 
you're like, man, God, are you being serious? Because, man, I'm struggling. Like when they were all re- like questioning when Jesus died, they all walked home and like, well, I guess he was a liar. They walked back home and they're sorrowful, right? I thought that was our Messiah. He's dead now. Peter was reminding them, we have this hope and it's coming. That resurrection, that new life. Hold fast to that. Trust in it. But then in 2 Peter, he transitions into this cultural fight. Because in 2 Peter, they were fighting the culture because all of these false teachings and false teachers were coming into the church and they were harassing and manipulating all of the things that God had said. Everyone was fighting that. You read 1 John, the very beginning, he, he navigates the Gnostics. He attacks the things that they were teaching at the time, how they were saying Jesus was spiritual and all these things. He's all, no, these things I have touched. We have heard, we have seen with our own very eyes. So Peter does the same thing and he's addressing these ideas, these philosophies, these opinions, right? And in 2 Peter, we're going to go to it. This is where I want to land this, uh, this plane, I promise. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to pay attention because this is where we're at today as a church. We don't quite see that serious persecution yet, although you can see those birth pains. It's building. It's coming. I'm not trying to prophesy on what's going to happen here in America. There's opinions on it. But things are not going to get better. They're birth pangs for sure. But, but God speaks to us through, through Peter in, in the second epistle exactly to what's going on today. American Christianity and its ideologies are attacked right here. So we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. And I want you to pay exact, uh, exact attention to some of the things that stick out here on what we're going over. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what are these things? These are the, the coming of the day of the Lord. If you go before in verse 14, Peter's reminding them of the day of, the day of redemption. Bless you. This day that's drawing near, the coming second return of Christ, it's going to come. And I want you to, to keep that in your reminder. Remind, remember these things. You are waiting for these. Be vigilant and be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So Peter, a man who spoke directly to Jesus and understood and knew and was counseled and discipled, he says, guess what? This man, Paul, he knows what he's talking about as well. And he's talking about these same things. And guess what? They're hard. Because if you read in the scriptures, you'll see that Peter, he got corrected by Paul in front of everyone so that people would fear. Why was it necessary? How dare he be rude and and offend Peter, the apostle, who spoke to Jesus? He corrected him because he was preaching lies. He was falling astray. And Paul was more concerned about the love for the church and the love for Peter's soul than offending him. And now Peter says, I acknowledge this man that he is preaching the truth. I understand it. I feel it. He's talking to me. And he's, he's awaiting the same things as us, and he's preaching these same things. 
It says these same things of wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when it appears to these in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Folks, that's what we're talking about right now. I mean, I get it. I understand reading the Old Testament, there's a temptation to say, let's just stick to the new. I know there's a lot of churches out there that are really building this philosophy that Old Testament, not really appropriate. Let's just stick to the red letters. Let's stick to the new stuff because that stuff's hard and not really appropriate. But you cannot miss. I mean, I talked about Isaiah earlier. When you're reading God's laws in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, when you're reading these things, the severity of how God took sin, when you get to the New Testament, you understand why he sent his son to die on the cross. It's really easy to understand how he got from here to here because these people were vicious. When you read Jonah, how dare people condemn this idea that the Old Testament God is judgmental, mean, angry, wrathful, and the New Testament God is, is this nice, peaceful, loving hippie. Because when I read Jonah, I see some serious compassion from the Lord. That dude, he, he preaches, and he's, you know, Jonah's all hard, and is, he's offended that, I know God, I know you're going to have patience. I know you're going you're, you're gonna to love these people. I know that you're going to forgive them. That's why I don't want to go there. All right, I'll preach the message. Fine, whatever. Yeah, look, they're repenting. Whoa, wait, what? They're repenting? I didn't expect that. And God changed his mind. Some, some doctrines in, in the church get offended when I say that. It says God changed his mind. He repented from the evil that he meant for them. Why? Because he's a good God. He's loving. His love endures forever. So these, these temptations of this thing is hard. I don't really think it means what it says or I don't even want to read it. That temptation is there. And this is what progressive Christianity is really doing. This is what they're really tempted into to going forward with. It's unstable and they're manipulating God, exchanging his glory for the images resembling mortal man Birds, animals, beasts, and every creeping thing like it says in Romans 1. They're, they're grabbing the truth and they're hiding it under the rug, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, right? And they're saying, let's, that's uncomfortable. That's awkward. That's hard. And let's rebuild the image of God to this loving, peaceful, hippie Jesus. Because that's really what it's about. But let's finish in 17. Look at this is, this is the hope for all of us. This is for those that want to steadfast. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Keep your stability. How do you keep stability? You stand on a rock. You stand on a firm foundation. You stand on concrete. There's a reason why Jesus said, don't build your house on the sand. Because what? When the waves come, this is talking about waves of doctrine. Christians, you're not going to get hit 
by a wave. We live in Tucson, Arizona. There's no oceans here. I mean, maybe California will flood and like maybe we'll have beachfront property. They've talked about it for years. But the scripture is not talking about a physical wave. The waves of doctrine are these things that are going to come in and they're going to knock you and you go, oh, that, that kind of sounds right. And you start straying. I path microwave dishes for a living in my work and there's a, a pencil beam width. And when you're pathing it to another dish on the other side for 30 miles, you turn that pencil just a tiny off. By the time it gets 30 miles, it's way over there. And God is saying, keep stable. Keep your feet rooted and grounded because when you're looking forward, there's nothing out here. But when you get pushed aside, you're in every fork in the road. Go watch Pilgrim's Progress. That thing, that, that movie is free on Amazon. It's knocked me on my feet. I'm weeping at a cartoon. I'm like, oh, this cartoon is making me cry. That movie is, it hits it dead on. The Christian gets waved around and tossed around on this boat in the storm. And he's saying, stand firm. Put your feet on the rock. Be stable. Do not give in to this lawlessness. And if you're unsure of what a text says, which happens, don't, don't feel condemned. Don't be, don't be afraid to voice that in the church. Don't be afraid to voice that to God and say, I don't understand the scripture. Because it's going to happen. You don't have to know everything. Guess what? You're not God. That's the whole philosophy and understanding of being a Christian. I am not God. I am wrong. I can trust in what he says. And I don't get it right now. And you just cry out to him, God, I don't understand this verse. I don't get it. This is hard. But look, this is what he reminds us. And we tell ourselves constantly is we don't have a special revelation. We don't have special interpretation of the text. If you go further uh, ahead in chapter 1 and verse 21 of, of 2 Peter, it says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of the, of the scripture comes from someone's own in interpretation. Can anyone understand that verse? Does that make sense? Man, when I read that, like I was like a year old into my Christian faith. And I read that and I was like, oh, I don't have to understand everything and try and explain it to the next person. I don't know everything. All of a sudden I'm a Christian. I thought I was supposed to know everything. God, what does it mean? I have no private interpretation of the text. Why? We'll keep reading. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but by men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's God's word. Let it speak for itself. That's our reminder day in and day out for the Christian and the non-believer in here. If you are not a, a Christian in here and you're, you know, going back and forth between these thoughts and things that I'm saying, know that. This is God's word, not, not the Christian's word. This is not our opinions and philosophies. We trust in what God says, and we let it rest there. And I don't, I don't have to give you some special interpretation. It's his and not ours. We rest in that. And if you haven't yet, I eagerly ask you to rest in that, Christian or non-Christian, whoever you are in here. If you're young in your faith, if you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, it doesn't matter who you are. I know the temptations and, and struggles as a Christian, and they go up and down. 
different times in our faith. Where'd that fire go that I had five years ago and you're chasing this emotion and this feeling? Stop it. Stop chasing that feeling. Look to Jesus. Turn your eyes. Repent. It means change your mind and turn to him. Non-Christian, turn to him. Trust that his word is sure because winds are going to carry you away and you're just going to get bashed against the wall by these waves. They're going to destroy you and your brain's not going to know how to comprehend and and follow these, these silly, muddy waters that are being vomited everywhere on our streets today. Trust the healthy steak, the meat and potatoes, the truth of God's word. We can rest in that. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Lord to uh, use this because I know that it, it was supposed to be like this big, solid, apologetic teaching with tons of bullet points and you're going to write down and go home and research. But, but I want you to leave here knowing that you can trust in God's word. You can go home and you don't need to pray to yourself and say, I'm foolish. I don't know how to get this. Man, brain, how do I get it? No, God, help me, please. I'm eager and I'm empty and I, I need to get it. I want to get it, God. I want to understand. Wherever you are in your life right now, I'm there with you. And I want us to pray and ask God for that. Father, thank you. God, thank you so much for being such a comforting God. God, I am a foolish man. And I know that that even saying things out loud, sometimes I sound like a joker, Lord. I am not trying to sell these people any gimmick. I'm not trying to sell them a ministry. I'm not trying to sell them Kyle's opinions. Father, I'm trying to feed them with you. God, I want to trust in you. And I pray that every single person in here would do the same. I know the struggles of thinking I've got it figured out. Or because I'm an older Christian, I should have it figured out. But God, we are fallible human beings. And that's the only difference between us and every other belief system out there is we recognize we are wrong. We aren't right, Lord. But you are because you're the way, because you're the truth and the life. None of us can come except by you. So anyone struggling with that, Lord, wherever they are, I pray that they would cry out to you right now. And I pray that they would surrender their life recommit their life, and completely rest in the solid foundation of who you are. God, I'm honored, I'm honored to talk to you. And I ask that you would continually reveal your word to us, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I know I went a little long there, so if you want to keep the Q&A short, we just wanted to open the the opportunity to ask questions. Before we get into that, um, just so you know, the reason why we have that table back there um, is because they're completely free, all right? They are gospel tracts that I personally wrote. Don't hand it out until you read it and understand it, because I don't want you passing out something that 
we aren't on the same side. I don't know, maybe you don't agree with it. Read it, take it home. They're in English and Spanish, but please feel free because I, I want the gospel shared. And gospel tracks, some people have opinions pro or against, they create conversations. When we go to our restaurant, how many conversations do we have? Because we ask the, the person before we do order our meal, we say, can we pray for you? Is there anything that we can pray for? And we get lots of mixed emotions and opinions. But then it opens the, the opportunity to say, hey, can I give you this? Can I give you this track? And we get different reactions and people communicate and they say, hey, I have some more questions on what this track says. So please take them. It shares the gospel and um, take as many as you want. Seriously, no obligation. I want you to take some. Um, also, um, there was one last slide, but essentially um, the ministry that we run, we have a YouTube channel. Please go on there and, and research. We have all different stuff on apologetics with um, Mormonism, Roman Catholicism. We talk a lot about evolution, difference between creation and evolution. I just love information and how God is so reasonable to give us the truth. So if you have any questions, we like to do Q&As, but we're building a studio right now um, at my home church, um, The Journey. And so we're trying to put together a lot more media and stuff, but please check it out. Let me know if you have any questions or topics maybe you want us to touch on. We're, we're simple dudes, so we just want to attack these lies. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive into it. You had the hand raised. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you write it down? Oh, I'm sorry. If you think of it, please, please do. I know that, like, it's difficult because you're not sure if, like, maybe I do believe these things. Maybe, or maybe I'm uncomfortable saying them out loud. Um, any questions? Or maybe um, um, uh, an opinion that you'd like to state and smack me with. Go ahead. I like how in the video, the guy, the very first guy who was talking, you notice he kept on contradicting himself yeah. and then trying to make it sound okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? The reason why I put that clip in there is because sometimes they won't be brutally honest. And I really appreciated his honesty, although it's heretical. Do you notice he called himself pantheistic? That means that God is in all. See, they'll hear when I say all, they say, yeah, the scripture talks about all all the time. When we did the apologetics with James Fire at Sonny's Church, I touched on New Age spirituality, and that's a major clincher for them. Like The problem with progressive Christianity is it, they'll really dive into a lot of New Age stuff. You'll hear Christ consciousness. You'll hear inner Christ um, awakening. You'll hear different words. And you'll see a lot more yoga practices. You'll see a lot more transcendental meditation, uh, con contemplative prayer. You'll see a lot of these different ideologies crept right into the church because it first starts out with, um, I have God in me. I was born with God in me, and I just need to find him. I need to awaken myself. And so, yeah, that guy was brutally honest, which, which doesn't make sense in my mind to call himself a progressive. Like the beginning of the video, he says, I am a progressive Christian. This is, it's progressivechristianity.org. You can go straight on his page, and he's very clear. It says, we as Christians believe pantheistically. You're like, wait, what? Because the Christian God, there's only one. Sorry, there's, there's only one. Yes, ma'am. Things, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Animals, 
they actually, yeah, um, I'm sure they, they dive into that. They actually get it from Colossians, um, where it's talking about all things are in Christ. It's, it says no man, no Greek, no Jew. Um, uh, I, I searched through it real quick, but essentially they say that Christ is all and in all. But the, the, the clear context is the Christian. Like it, it's, it's separating its boundaries. When you read the context of that chapter, it's saying that those that believe in Christ, he is in them. And so there's no partiality between the, the man or the woman, the Jew or the Gentile, wherever you are, Christ is in you and you can trust that. Because there were Jews coming along, right? And they were saying, we, um, we're better than the Gentiles. Even though we're Christians, we accept, the Jewish, we accept Jesus as the Messiah. We're still better because we're the original people. Right? And so that's a temptation there. Good question. Yeah, Pastor Danny. How, how, how dangerous is it for, for believers uh, to look at the Bible and say, uh, a lot of that has to be just man-made. Or, you know, it's not yeah. all from God's Word. Yeah. I would say that's the, that's the disease that's infecting the church today is not, not just the people in the pews, but it's the pastors saying that today. We did a video and, um, I, I sorry, I'm going to put myself out there. We are not o- organized against Calvary chapels, but there is a division in Calvary chapels, which we do a video on. And hopefully you'll hear my heart because I don't have enough time to get through all those waters right now, but, um, uh, Brian Broderson is the head of Calvary Chapel now when Chuck Smith passed away. Um, if any of you are familiar with Calvary Chapels, but, um, he's, he's got a new emphasis that they don't want to talk about prophecy. Chuck Smith talked a lot of doom and gloom and did a lot of prophecy. Um, which is, I mean, one third of the Bible is pro- prophetic. One third of it is prophecy. How could you not talk about prophecy? So Brian Broderson publicly went out, and, and you can watch my video. He, he went public with it. He said that um, a lot of people are unfended by um, the things in the Scriptures because they're difficult or because they're hard to hear. So we shouldn't talk about them. We'll just read the New Testament. And so it, it's destroying. It's destroying the church like a plague. And because, guess what? I, I get it. You got this temptation to find a church that fits you. Like I know as a younger believer and I have family members that are always trying to find the church that has the right music that makes me feel good. I come in, I got the clapping music. Maybe the lights are turned down a little bit. You're like, man, I love that sensation because I really feel closer with God. And they're chasing this feeling to know Jesus. But that's not how it works. You saw that what it says is, is um, we gain by the knowledge of him. It's not your experience that, that makes your relationship right with him. And you can, I mean, I can eat bad spaghetti today and my relationship changes with Jesus. Because I'm like, oh, why did I eat that, God? I don't, I don't like you. Why'd you make me eat that? Like, we, we change every day. Our emotions, today I'm mad and tomorrow I'm happy. Does that change who God is? Yeah. Hope I answered your question. It's very serious. Yeah. How how do you see the effects that this is really pushing the next generation coming up? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's a great question, man. <laughs> I got five new girls. I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm navigating those waters. It's, I think children are running our world. And unfortunately, they're letting them too young. I mean, so if we want to talk internally in the church, uh, far too often you see kids leading kids. You see kids teaching kids. And um, I have an opinion on that. When I see the scriptures, I'm just convinced by that direction. But unfortunately, um, there's, there's two sides here. Um, the church is trusting the pastors to bring people in. So as the church, evangelistically, we're not going out sharing the gospel. We're saying, hey, come to my church. So at the bigger churches, you see a lot of the congregation go out there and say, hey, come to my church. My church is cool or my church is fun. And so you end up with the whole world inside the church. And so kids ministries have leaders that aren't even believers because they're not signing doctrinal statements. They're not trusting because they're just trying to fill the void. They're trying to just get leaders in there, right? We've got all these people all of a sudden because we wanted to grow as a church. So all of these philosophies and ideas are completely infiltrated the church because the church didn't equip itself correctly. So uh, I know I went a different direction there, but unfortunately what I see like with children is a children are looked at as children. They don't, they don't have minds. They can't reason through these things. So let's wait till they get older. So they form opinions by the world. They form opinions by what they're hearing, what they're not being taught, what they are being taught. And then they, they're running the world today. So, um, I mean, discipleship starts in the home and we need to make more time. Like I have to make time to read with my kids, to read with my wife. We just started this book, and I actually highly recommend it. Um, J. Warner Wallace. Warner, J. Warner Wallace was a detective. He's a lot like Lee Strobel, if you guys know who that is. Lee Strobel was a um, he did um, Case for Christ, but J. Warner Wallace just did a book called Cold Case Christianity. Go out and buy that book right now, Amazon, wherever you want to get it. It's it's not expensive, but they have one for kids to help kids understand detective work. Um, through the scriptures on how to know who God is, how he's the truth, and get through those things. Um, and we're reading that right now and just conversate, like talking to kids like they're human beings. Like the, these guys are here. Are you listening? Yeah. Are you thinking? You thinking about lunch? Yeah. yeah, I get it. Like I said a lot of things, but now you could go out and sit at lunch because they're hungry and they want their bellies full, right? Say, what did that crazy dude say? He was bald. <laughs> like, did you pay attention? To it? What was one word that stuck out? Well, he kept saying all, or he kept saying something. And just get the conversation started. Our kids will talk for hours once you ask them a question. You know? Um, I kind of went far on that, but uh, did I answer your question? I'm a rambler. Uh-oh. Just in case in Timothy specifically, yes, it says teach. Yep. And then in Corinthians, it says a woman not ought to talk in the church. And so there's a lot of controversy on there. So yeah, I did. I, I misspoke for sure. Thank you, wife. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's talking specifically about the, the pastoral duty. 
Like, women are free to talk in here. I mean, my wife just corrected me. <laughs> is, am I, am, is she going to hell now because she corrected me with the scriptures? God forbid. I think that's a joy. I mean, w- women are, are wiser than men most of the time. Um, but it's a, it's a structure of the role. I don't know if you guys want me to get into that. Um, I'm sure Pastor Danny's done a good job teaching on that. But um, it's a responsibility that the head of the house, the man, should really carry um, because we see the temptation in the garden. And Timothy talks about that. Timothy makes it clear that, that the woman um, was seduced. The man just sinned. He outright sinned. And that's why he's held accountable. And that's why by all men, Adam sinned. By all men, we die because our sin comes from Adam. Not by the seducing spirit um, from the woman, but from the outright rebellion of man. So men need to step up and say, this is right, this is wrong, and we're going to run our houseless. Amen. 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 Thanks, wife. (laughs) Yes, sir. Kevin. Um, Yeah, you you mentioned Calvary Chapel, and it's funny that we're going to a conference this week in Calvary Chapel, and the subject is prophecy. Awesome. So it must be the other branch. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt. No, yeah, there's a lot of confusion. I didn't mean to, like, stir the pot there. Yeah, unfortunately. I don't want to. What I was going to ask is, um, let's say you know of a church, and it's a progressive Christian church, and all the nonsense that goes in with that. Yes, sir. Then somebody brings it up in a conversation, oh, this church is such a blessing to me. You know it's Mm. nonsense. How do you talk to a person um, when you find that? Yeah. How do you go about that? Yeah. Um, I can't tell you the direct way. It's the same way sharing the gospel. Like, there's not... Like, you have to meet these criteria in order to share the gospel. I'd say in this situation, um, I love asking questions because you gain, you gain a foothold that you're willing to listen. Well, why is that church good? It's no different than someone that doesn't believe the gospel. Well, what do you believe? Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, what do you, what do you think about that? So if a church, I actually went through this with my sister, um, and she's going to watch this, so. I got to watch what I say. Um, she was attending a church and she was like, it's awesome. It's doing a lot of these cool things and come check it out. So we went over there and um, I want to get all into it, but there was a lot of this stuff and different, really bad stuff in there. And so, especially with my sister, like, how do you talk about those things, you know, without destroying your relationship? Well, what you start out with, well, um, what do you like about it? Oh, okay. Um, well, the scriptures, you know, um, weren't really talked about. Why do you go to church? Do you go to hear the scriptures or are you seeking something else? I, asking questions is the best way to start a conversation. Because if you start preaching at someone, they don't want to hear you because they don't think they're going to be heard. Um, that goes for any topic. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, my wife corrected me. You would think that that would be really awkward for me to be standing in front of people. But the fact that she said, maybe you want to do it this way, could you do it? I don't feel like ruining my day and going home mad at my wife now. Because <laughs> she approached me differently, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I, th- those conversations should be happening, though, because they're everywhere. And not only if they're not in Tucson, the, a lot of them are on TV, 
Let me get a, a good example. This one, every time I'm astonished that people like him, but the, it's so popular is the Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick. He's not a progressive pastor. I mean, he, he's definitely liberal. He goes in a lot of directions of heresy. Um, and we could pinpoint that down on a separate conversation. But um, having those conversations often can start out really upsetting because he's a big pastor and his music is all over the radio. Elevation Worship, I mean, I like a few of their songs. All the apologetic teachers out there are going to call me heretical now. <laughs> um, but but uh, it, it's damaging. So, hey, why do you like the guy? You know, um, well, he's handsome. Well, you're at the wrong church then, dude. <laughs> you know? Um, hope that helps. Yeah, for sure. Yes, sir. I just want to say, um, I don't know if you heard, uh, probably about a month ago, uh, one of the rappers from uh, Crossbow just came out, the, the Fanatic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I heard by your brother. Yeah, I mean, that was sad. Uh, you know, this, 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 he's been in the Lord for 30 years. You know, seems that he was, you know, a firm believer for, for many years. And, yeah. and then he began to struggle with just all the different things that are going on in Christianity. And, he comes then to this place that, you know, it's all wrong, you know, and yeah, the gospel is still something beautiful to, you know, to think about. Yeah. But I got my own truth now. And you know, you, you can kind of see that this guy was, was struggling with with trying to put two and two together with what's going on in the church. Yeah. And, and what you were sharing today, you know, about God's word, about all, everything that we need to, to live for Christ, you know, all. The, the scripture is sufficient for everything. That's so important because, you know, sometimes we do struggle with certain things, you know, even when we read scripture and, and, and you know, <clears throat> we're weak at times in, in trying to process these things. And, 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 you know, I think the best thing is just to continue to encourage the body of Christ, like you were saying. Amen. Stick to the word. Just, just stay there, you know. Yeah. God will give us what we need, what we need from him as he's trying to communicate to yeah. us. But stand firm on, on what we know uh, to be understood clearly in God's word, and don't be shaken away from that. You know, the truth. Christ came two thousand years ago. God became man. You know, lived a perfect life, died for, rose again from the dead. Man, if you're having a, a struggle with with what's going on and all of these false teachings, all these things are taking away from word. Yeah. Stand on that, and you know what I mean. Work through that. Yeah. Know? I know a lot of people can get discouraged. You know, hear everything that's going on, and this guy saying he's a man of God, he's a preacher of the word, and people are following him. Yeah. Uh, that can be, you know, tempting at times or, or confusing, you know, for for the mind. Yeah. You should be a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. You. That's fine. I don't mind it. I'll switch seats. Um, you know what's one of the things that I really want to do a video on, I just haven't worked through it, um, is a lot of people don't understand the difference between a false teacher and a false teaching. And they automatically assume that you're judging salvation based on a teaching. Now, there are obvious doctrines that if you don't believe Jesus is God, you're a false teacher. Um, if you believe a woman should be a pastor, you're not going to hell for that. Although we could sit and have a conversation about the word of God through it. You know what I mean? Like you can have those conversations, but, um, that's a false teaching. 
And so people misconstrue the difference. And so that's why the arguments get so upsetting is because it's how dare you judge my salvation? Well, if you say you're a Christian, I'm not judging your salvation. God's in charge of that. Like you're his. So let's just talk about it. Let's be brothers and sisters. And I'm totally comfortable with those conversations when someone says they're a Christian. I don't know why they get so mad when I'm correcting them because like the Bible says, judgment starts in the house of the Lord, right? Like that's what we're here for, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. So um, I, I'd like to do a video on that soon because um, yes, there are, there are false teachers out there that we need to name names. Some of the names that I really wanted to identify a big one is Brian uh, McLaren. He's one of the head guys. There's like this spectrum of progressive Christianity, all right? There was one thing that I wanted to talk about that I, I missed or forgot to. But because it's so philosophical and up in the air, you could have like the culture in Europe and the culture here. And so you have two different progressive Christianities. They look totally different. But if you go to California and you go to Brian McLaren's church, he he's identifies himself as a progressive Christian pastor, and he's really the one that started the emergent church movement. Like he is the guy. You see interviews upon interviews. He had uh, beanbags in his church, and everyone was sitting around and they were singing kumbaya. Like his church was the church where they were just talking about their ideas. But then on the other side, you have Richard Foster, which some may not know that name, but anyone in the New Age uh, spirituality beliefs that start getting into um, uh, pantheism, uh, yoga, like really popular. Like I could talk to several people I know randomly on social media and they know who Richard Foster is. But his ideologies of, of progressive Christianity is all about Christ consciousness. So he's constantly preaching Christ, but the idea that you are Christ, that Christ is in you and that you need to stir up that. That's what... I don't know if you guys want to get on to that, but I, I get really, I get really excited talking about that stuff because I, I, I had a good friend named Ray Youngin and I did a vi uh, interview with him in Ireland. Sweet guy, he's a gentle giant, seven foot guy. He passed away, but um, he he knew a lot about mo yoga and um, Eastern philosophies, and so he taught me a lot about the chakras and the pinpoints and the third eye and, and why all those things are popular because it, it esteems yourself. Like at the end of the day, like even um, uh, psychology is Middle Eastern because you're trying to find your inner self. And the church from the beginning has always thought, not the church, people. People have always thought from the beginning that they're wrong but they can make themselves better. Like, right? That's religion. And it doesn't matter which direction you go, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, evolution, like they're all, everyone's trying to make themselves better. And that's why Christianity is so different because it says, I can't. I can't make myself better. I can't build my Tower of Babel and make it to heaven. I can't get there. So, yeah, amen. Did you think of that question? Oh, I'm so sorry. I should have taken it earlier. Um, is that it? That's it. Oh, she's got one more. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, that's the subjective. That's the subjectiveness of, of truth. My own reality. Well, my reality says this, <coughs> but your reality may say something different, but 
Um, you can't affect my reality. You build your own world. I mean, that's where we are today. That's what everyone's trying to do and where governments are going and where schools are going. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. They're trying to generalize everything to build a platform that we're all the same. I mean, folks, you have to see, you have to kind of see, I remember talking to James Fire about this. All of religions are looking for a Messiah. They're just looking to the wrong place. With Islam, they're looking for the 12th Imam. Um, New Age spirituality is looking for the age of Aquarius. Um, uh, Jews are looking for um, their Jewish Messiah, the conquering Messiah that's going to come and free them from Rome, right? Take them away. Um, it doesn't matter what religion you look to. Everyone's looking for um, this leader. And so there's this like stir of peace. And that's why um, prophecy is so important because understanding these last days, how the climate, it seems like it's getting better. And that's why God says it's going to be like birth pangs. Things are getting worse, but they're going to be seasons where like in the middle of a storm, you know, where it gets really calm. That's where that, that, that peace treaty is going to be signed with this ruler that's going to bring peace to all these religions. And what they're going to say is, I'm the 12th Imam. I'm the age of Aquarius. I'm this leader. I'm this follower. I'm the Messiah. He's going to stand on the temple and say, I am God. And every religion is going to go, it's him. He brings peace. Look at the nations. They're calm. We signed this treaty and all these things. And the church is going to go, what? Like, you're crazy. My Messiah is coming in the air. He's already come. And he's, he's, he's suffered. My conquering Messiah ain't signing no peace treaty with these crazies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah, they're trying to delude themselves uh, with this idea that peace is going to come from their own realities. And so it's, it's kind of, it's really hard to get through because they're angry, but they're also trying to create peace. And you're like, you're, you're not consistent. Coexist. Yep. Tolerate. Coexist. And that's one of the hardest things when you start talking about that stuff, because it sounds nice. Like, don't you want to get along with people? I do for sure. Like, it sounds nice, but um, oil and water don't mix. Light and dark don't mix. Be ye not unequally yoked. What does light have with darkness? So the, the Christian needs to acknowledge that we are in the world, but not of it. And so when we're talking, building relationships with people, I love family members that are lost. I love friends. I love people at my work. I love uh, so many different people in this world. Um, but I have no friendship in a spiritual sense where I compromise the truth because my goal is to make sure they, um, they, they know Christ and magnify him and don't die for eternity in hell. I remember one time being told that I need to be okay with the idea that some of my family members are going to hell. And I said, I'll never be okay with that. I'll never be okay. Yeah. All right. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you.